Summer's Eve, featuring Greg Abate with Paul Del Nero and John Wheatley, the Wayne Delano Group, and Tom Luther, sax, bass, guitar, and solo jazz piano, Friday, August 19th at the Camden Opera House. More at camdenoperahouse.com. Stay tuned for Wabanaki Windows coming up at 10 o'clock. And just a little announcement here. We are still having problems with our telephone system, so we are not able to take your calls for questions to Wabanaki Windows this morning. But stay tuned. It's going to be a great show, and we're going to have a great day. Partly sunny with a high near 78. Stay tuned for Wabanaki Windows. Welcome to Wabanaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Wabanaki Windows is a monthly show featuring Wabanaki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. Today, we have guests from the Penobscot Theatre's production of Transformer Tales, Stories of the Dawnland, a production created at the request of the National Park Service for its centennial celebration. Our guests today are Amy Roeder, director, Carol Dana, Penobscot language expert and culture consultant, Carmela Bear, one of the young Penobscot actors, uh, and Professor Margot Lukens, uh, who is a consultant for the show, uh, and a number of other things, right, Margot? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to ask each of them to uh, introduce themselves and maybe say a little bit about uh, their transformer experience or how they got to Maine if they're not from Maine or just uh, a little bit. Go ahead, Margo. Okay. Well, I'm not from Maine, but I have been here. This is my 25th year of being in Maine um, at the University of Maine. And I teach American literatures of various kinds and uh, Native American literature really has been my research and teaching specialty. And since 1998, I've been really learning a lot more about um, Wabanaki literature and storytelling forms. And um, since I got here, I've been working with people from the Penobscot Nation. And that was one reason that Barry Newport came to me um, uh, after talking to Donna also um, to say, well, how can we begin to put together a show um, based on Penobscot Nation materials and traditions and so um, my first move was to gather a group together and and to um, ask people from the Penobscot Nation um, for their input on the story. Carol? I'm Carol Daner, language uh, teacher at Indian Island with Cultural Historic Preservation Office. That's it? That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, okay Carol. (laughs) She's a Penobscot elder, but she won't admit it. Okay. Uh, Amy? Hi, I'm Amy Rader from Penobscot Theatre Company. I am not from Maine, but I got here just as soon as I could. Uh, I first got to know Maine uh, working through Improvacadia, which is located down in Bar Harbor, and came to my job at the Penobscot Theatre, A, because I wanted to live in Maine, and B, because through a series of random coincidences, I was introduced to Barry Newport just as she was about to leave to take on this job in Atlanta. That's where I first met her. And when the director of education position came open, I applied for it, and I've been here for two years full-time now. Okay. Carmela? Mm. And don't fall asleep. Go ahead. (laughs) Har, har. Um, (laughs) I am Carmela Bear, and... I am from the Penobscot Nation. I go to the Indian Island School. I've lived there all my life. Um, and how long has that been, Camilla? Nine years, almost ten in November. Okay. Okay, that's it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to uh, just throw this question on. I think uh, maybe Margot or, or Amy could maybe respond. Um, so tell me about how you came about creating this show that the, the oh and actually how you came about deciding what sh- what to title it and whatever and maybe Carol can chime in too but uh, yeah you you guys address that yeah well really um the transformer tales uh are the stories that Carol brought us i mean back in 
the fall of 2015, we were beginning to work on this. And, and um, you know, I just, I just called out all the people that I knew in Indian Island and said, are you interested in working on some theater? And so there was a group of, you know, seven or eight people who had over the years done some, uh, you know, fully produced theater, a uh, lot of readers theater, some traveling theater, and um, all of it with Native American playwrights, plays mm-hmm. and playwrights. So um, it was this group that got together, and, you know, we were sort of debating what kind of materials were you going to use, and it was Carol's thought to go to this 1918 source, published source of um, original Penobscot stories told in Penobscot by a guy named Newell Lyon. I don't know, do you want to say something about Newell Lyon or about why you... Well, I like the stories because early in the theater days I had the idea of doing uh, language in uh, plays. And when uh, this opportunity presented itself I was really uh, pleased, and I've had a great time doing language with the group and the children, and uh, they've done really well, and that uh, made me feel really good. I felt really proud of the work they had done, mm-hmm. and that's how we got uh, Transformer Tales, because they kind of fit together chronologically, you know, they went on, and she said we could do plays out of this. You know, one story melts into the other. And it was ongoing, and it was about Gluskab's early life, which uh, other stories I've looked at don't really tell about his childhood as much as these ones do. So it was a great opportunity. Yeah, it seemed like the perfect thing for theater that was going to include really young people right. on stage mm-hmm. as well as young adults. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And for me, the the thirteen. Well, this stories, is Amy, by the way. Hi, sorry. Um, <laughs> the thirteen stories that we did use were a really lovely arc too. I know, Margot, you've talked about that. Carol, you've talked about that in the past. But going from Gluskabe's childhood to when Gluskabe and Madame Kwasu leave was a lovely arc that we could tell with children of various ages. So it really was appealing to me from the get go, and I'm super glad that that's what we what we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were plenty of other stories. I mean, the discussion among the writers group, uh, I mean, the the New Lion group of stories includes more than the 13 that we used, mm-hmm. and um, some of them are kind of, uh, you know, risque, and some of them are, um, you know, go off in other directions. And, you know, maybe that's the, the next show, <laughs> you know, the, the adult version. Um, although... Um, a lot of people have said to me, a lot of adults have said, oh, I'd like to do that play. That play would be really fun. And uh, we also talked about the possibility of of weaving in stories of 20th and 21st century activism and stewardship of land and of of river um, because those things do connect to the the Gluskabe stories, because what many of the lessons he learns are about stewardship and about, um, you know, m- being mindful of the generations to come. Um, and, uh, you know, it would have been a gigantic epic if we had done all those things. But I think it, what it suggests is there really is a lot more material that uh, could be dramatized. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, I talked to Barry, and, and Barry really was interested in doing something uh, for the Penobscot uh, community and in the name of Penobscot since the theater is uh, named Penobscot Theater and this opportunity came up through the, Amy? Through the centennial of Acadia National Park, like you said Barry has been wanting to do something with and for and by the Penobscot community on our stage and the perfect opportunity sort of came along with the Acadia Centennial in that these stories uh, take place on not just the land that Penobscot Theater sits on, but all the land around us, including Acadia National Park. And the the very strong themes of conservationalism and stewardship of the land really kind of dovetail nicely with the mission of Acadia National Park. And that became a wonderful way for us to engage with the Penobscot Nation as well. Yeah. So, and you started out uh, working with the uh, Indian Island School, uh, Carmela. Uh, <laughs> were you involved with the uh, 
when they went to the Indian Island School, Penobscots? Did you act in any of those? Um, I didn't because I don't think I was old enough at the time. Okay. But the recent show that they did was, yes, I was old enough, but they didn't first start out at the school. They did one of the, like, run-through performances at the school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so they did uh, some shows at the elementary school, right? Was it last summer? The residency it was January. Was January. Mm-hmm. January I, yeah. Okay. It was very cold out, but not as cold as it usually gets in Maine. So I feel like we got a nice weather break then. And we did uh, three separate stories that grade, there was a group from grade five, a group from grade six and seven, and a group from grade eight. Wow. And there was like, what, something like 50 kids involved with that? Yeah. Or? It was a, it's a lot. It's a big group, but they were all so enthusiastic and such wonderful participants. I feel like we could have done a bunch more kids, too. I'm, I'm saying that now uh, Now we're going to have, like, all the kids in the school <laughs> participate <laughs> if we come back, which would be which amazing. Are, that's okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they all enjoyed the act, learning to act and, you know, the, the stories that you guys did. And yeah. So is, did you get some of the uh, children from that experience to go to the summer academy no although during one of the readings at indian island uh we there are a couple of our performers from the january workshop playing basketball in a room next door so we grabbed them to do the reading so i got to see them there and they did some of the uh initial readings when we were still working on the script so that was fun to have them have them engage with the this material as well yeah so how many times how many meetings did you actually do before you figured out the script? And <laughs> I mean, you just didn't sit down and say, oh, this is it. You know? Oh, no, no, by no means. It was We were sort of meeting twice a month, maybe, and um, may, sometimes more than that, it felt like. Um, but it, it took us, I would say, it took us till like November or December before we figured out that we were going to settle down and just do the Transformer Tales. Mm. And even then... Uh, you know, we were still thinking of, of, you know, ways that it would connect with the present. And we also ha- had ideas about bringing the audience to the stories through a frame, which was a, a contemporary, you know, grandmother and two grandchildren talking before then the Transformer Tales started. But after a while, we just realized, hey, you know, we don't need this. The lights are going to go down and the Transformer tails are going to go up. And I have to say that was, that came about for me just in uh, Bill Yellowrobe's response where he said the stories are the strong part. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not any of the other stuff you put around it. It's the stories that matter. And I have to correct myself, we did have two participants from the January residency in our program. Raven Sock Alexis and Byron Sock Alexis. Uh, Byron played a squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) In January, yes. yes in yeah. January. He played right. other things during this show. Right, he, he had the large part of winter, mm-hmm. yes. which was, he was a very, uh, he developed a lot in that role, I thought. The yeah. coolest part for me in um, all the shows, because there's always a moment that kind of like gives you goosebumps or like takes your breath away, when Winter pushed Gluskabe out of his wigwam, like there was a group behind me that went, oh. <laughs> okay, like, yes. we'll go back to that for, we'll go back to that in a minute, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I'm going to uh, just take a little few seconds here to identify the station. It's WERU, this is Wabanaki Windows, and we're talking about the Penobscot Theater's uh, production of the Transformer Tales, Uh, and our guests are um, Amy Rhoda, director, Carol Dana, uh, Penobscot language expert, uh, Carmela Beer, young Penobscot actor, and a... uh, uh, Professor Margo Lukens, who was also consulting on the show. Uh, okay, so we were talking about um, the winter, right? And when Gluskabe, did you say pushed winter? or Winter pushes Gluskabe. Winter pushes Gluskabe out to the snow. frozen to death. Ah, okay. That was a good part. That was a good part, the pushing? <laughs> uh, Carol, let me ask yes. you this. Yeah. In uh, in in the culture part, the I know that there has to be an interest. The audience has to be involved some in some way. Mm-hmm. So, it, 
did you have a, a difficult time adjusting to maybe changing the stories a little bit? Yes, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't believe in changing the stories at all. I realized halfway through it why I uh, was resistant to, you know, funny parts or... I know they were trying to dramatize the story, so there was a lot of conflict that I thought you're making too much of something that wasn't really there. So there was a push and pull for me, you know, and then it's like, well, and now I know why. It's because I don't really believe in changing the stories, you know, because you might miss a subtle point or there may be a reason for something to be in there. And there is a lot to understand. I realize somebody almost needs a background in the culture to understand the stories. You know, there were different things that I would tell Margot, but it's hard to, it's difficult to convey that through theater, I think. You know, yeah. like the whole part about uh, uh, him getting a beer and grandmother being so happy. She says, key, and she does her little dance. Well, it's because they have a lot of fat, which we need fat to live. Right. You know, so uh, it came out funny. The beer said, did you call me fat, which really wasn't the point, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. mm -hmm. it, it got twisted and turned, and there were just other things I thought. Gliscob, you know, dealt with things in his own way through magic or power or, you know when I realize that people have big medicine and they have respect and they have power in their words you know like Bookton Squass I felt bad when uh, the dog was fighting with her because in our story she's also a derelict but she's somebody of power so that teaches you respect you wouldn't uh, tease old people or you wouldn't make fun of them or harass them in any way they could be a person of power. So that's what the story means to me more than, hmm. you know, uh, conflict or fighting yeah. somebody. There's a underlying teaching there at hand. Mm -hmm. yeah. Carmel, you got something to say? Yes, I did play Push and Squash You, but I had fun doing the fighting. But when I found out I would have to wear a fat suit, <laughs> landing flat down on that big fat suit butt, it would have been hard. And I was actually kind of happy that Carol took away the fighting part because she's right, you wouldn't harass an old woman mm -hmm. or yeah. something. Right, and instead of falling down, you got to do magic. I got to do magic. To try and hold that dog off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm doing a little magic dance. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, this is radio, Carmela. Right, and by the, by the way, Carmela is the only person who dresses up in sequins for radio. Yeah. <laughs> for all you listeners out there in radio land. Yeah. Ha, ha, har, har. Okay, so there were 13... Uh, segments of this, I understand, 13 different stories. So how did, I mean, and I know there must have been, what, I know there's at least 200 stories. Uh, so you picked those 13 because why? I, I think because chronologically one went into another, almost like mm -hmm. an ongoing big overall scene of his life happening and unfolding. And uh, I remember Margot saying, well, that segues nicely into the next one. Like one story would refer back to the other one. Yeah. I think it was when uh, he overcomes winter and then when he steals summer, you know, that story reflects on the other one. Right. So it's all his adventures and they were ongoing. They just fit together nicely. Yeah. And it, it is the, the first 13 of New Alliance tellings mm -hmm. as, as Frank Speck published them. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, there are probably another dozen in that right. publication that we just, right. you know, they, they had different characters or they had, you know, kind of a, a different version of things. But Yeah, secondary tales. Yeah, yeah. right. So, but these seem to just be, you know, really uh, integral one to another. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, I, I, what I found interesting about uh, that that piece that uh, the, the Transformer Tales 
that Frank Speck did was the fact that um, he did what, three versions, right? He did one in the in the, uh, in the language, in the language right. mm-hmm. and he did another a literal translation. Okay, and then he did it did it in English, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So those are three different versions that you can mm-hmm. that you could look at, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what set that transformative piece apart from other writings and, and authors. Right. which I thought was very uh, was very yeah. good. It's due to the order of the language. Like if you were speaking, it doesn't have the same subject, verb, object, order. And that's why he had, well, he made it easier for readers, I think, to just translate it into regular English. And if it was the other way, it would be almost like you were speaking backwards. But And it made it... Um, good for us in preparing the script because we could go all the way to Newell Lyons' words mm-hmm. by just looking at this this one uh, publication, and uh, you know that helped us also weave parts of the language right into the script. And there was right. some piece of Penobscot on just about every page. Yeah, yeah, it was really enjoyable for me to work with. So, how did you get these these young kids? to learn the language in such a short time. We had some really intensive training by Ms. Dana. She worked with the kids one-on-one, page-by-page, phrase-by-phrase, word-by-word. They wrote it down phonetically so that it made sense to them. We worked over and over, and then she went above and beyond and recorded all of the words and phrases so the kids could go home and listen to it on their computers and remind themselves of the pronunciation. It was Mm -hmm. pretty exceptional work. I yeah, think. I think that, and that came out on stage when the, when the kids were, were talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of had to laugh when this one, in this one scene where um, I forget the scene now. All I can remember is he kept saying, "Well, this is difficult to say," and then he said, the, the, <laughs> "I'm thinking to myself, right. yeah, that's <laughs> right. that is difficult to say." Right. I was thinking about that. I saw that yesterday, and I was thinking, "Oh, you know what? What? What he's really saying is." Uh, I don't know how to say this to you, Grandma, but I have to go away again. And in, yeah. <laughs> and the way we wrote the line was, this is difficult to say. And then he says it in Penobscot, and oh. then he says it in English. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah, laughed about yeah, that I, There was too. a couple couple highlights of that. that I, thought was I also of, have to mention that yeah. Carmela was the first person to have a substantial chunk of Penobscot right. within the first few minutes. Two sentences, it yeah. It was difficult, but... A bunch of kids kept on asking me, wait, why are you having such a hard time with this? You grew up learning this language. And I said, it's Penobscot. They teach me, they teach me mostly Pathmaquoddy at my school. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult, but not difficult. Mm-hmm. Two, well, how many sentences? Was it two sentences? Do you remember? Can you share can, it with Can us? you say it? My first sentence. I will never get it out of my head now, thank you. Um was Alawi Tabi Nagabakwa Nagagun Nadunalanoke Giz Iziwa Badawin Matuguasuye Naganamasie. And it took me forever to learn that. And something you didn't see, Carmela, is me in the back of the theater after you said that every night, you know, pumping my fist in the air going, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I saw that um <laughs> on our real opening night at the theater. Yeah. Tr- now, translated, what does that mean, translated? Um, it actually, that one Penobscot line goes on throughout the whole page. And actually, Miss um, Margot told me this, that that one line means, Grandmother, make me bow and arrows, I want to hunt deer, and then I'm I so tired of rabbit and fish. Mm-hmm. Right. And... That was it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I am so tired of rabbit and fish. Yeah. Well, that was great. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, I was glad you had that first line, and I remember getting everybody to rehearse that line with you. I thought if yes. if she can go off with a bang. With, yes. with those words, then the whole show is that, launched. That was really key. The first time we hear Penobscot is not just a word. It's a big sentence, and it's right. a big, meaningful sentence. Right. Spoken by Guscabe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my second one, I had my partner, well, grandmother, uh, my best friend, Soap Dish. Her real name is Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds native, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, she helped me with my second line a lot in dress rehearsals and actually at, at the school when it said it. And it was just my harder one. Like my first one, I, it may have taken me forever to learn, but it took me even longer to learn my second one because like I said before, I, I had to have my partner help me during dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, I'm curious now. What's the second one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. Garagaki men elitazik aguidin wachich gudunalog zibzug. Teach me how to make a canoe. I want to hunt ducks. <laughs> <laughs> We're all pumping fists. Yeah. 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 You know, and I thought that was cool the way that they they carried the little girl across the stage. She was in the yeah. she was she the, was the, the duck. duck. Yeah. <laughs> she was the duck. Yeah. Jose, you like that? Yeah. Yeah. My grandson. Yeah. So, what was your favorite parts of the of the show, Carmela? My favorite part was either being the mean girl, Puchin Squasu, the old fat squatty woman, um, or it was I just always loved seeing um, the fox scene. Like it may have been abusing one of Squasu, but it was so cool. Like how I never knew that herbs could really help the blind. And it's like, why don't we do that today? Hmm. Thinking. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Okay, so you're thinking. So <laughs> so what was actually cool about that scene? Was it just the fact that the herbs could help the blind, or was there something Not, else? Um, actually, both of my best friends, my groupies, um, Soapdish and Connor, they were my best friends throughout the whole thing. Um, they were both two of the two of the three foxes, and I just love seeing that scene over and over again. And I just love teasing Soapdish about how bad her fake laugh was, her evil fake laugh. <laughs> I thought that fake laugh was awesome. It sounded super I know, evil. I know, but it was evil. <laughs> I am a child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the fox scene was one of your favorites. Yes, yeah. yes it was. And then the the scene with the, uh, the fat suit. The what? The fat suit. Okay. Punching squash suit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> healing. I like the healing part. Yeah. yeah. The scurvy could heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was there any other parts for anybody here? What, did they have a favorite story or? The. The Gluskabe and grandmother departing always got me because it's because Gluskabe says, if they call me, I will hear them and I'll come back. And we've done all we can for our descendants. Now we have to go out and go away, but I'll come back if they need me. And that one always kind of got me just because of the simplicity of the story and the language was so important to incorporate there. Uh, the words for always, the words for descendants. I, that one was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that gave us um, the occasion to incorporate the poem by Zipsis mm-hmm. at the end. And, and it's a poem about, you know, roads crossing again. And, and it mm-hmm. kind of uh, emphasized the opportunity and, and perhaps the responsibility to call Guscave back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the poem itself also sort of spoke to me in terms of the transcendent nature of theater and the temporary nature of theater. Something that I didn't get to say to these guys, but I always say to all my uh, youth casts it, for our last show, I always say, this is the last time this particular group of people will be in a room together. Yeah. We all may come together later, but there will be somebody else or somebody will be missing. So mm-hmm. let us be together here and let us enjoy this right now because it is our responsibility to lift each other up today in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's always been when, when I was doing readings for my play, and the group would always come together, be a different group, but for each reading, you know, it would take maybe a week or so before, and we'd have a great time together and talk and whatever, and it's kind of like, at the end of that, the community just disappears, it's gone. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, the downsides of theater, but it's also the upside because you've got a new, a new community that you start with the next mm-hmm. show. So I think I, I really like the dance when he was oh. fixing the falls and the rivers. Because when we first were doing this, Margot would say, 
or it could be interpretive dance, and I'd be like, what? Like, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And then for that particular story, that's what it was, and it was so beautiful, and it flowed so nicely. I mean, it, it reminded me of water, you know, when he fixed the rivers and falls. And also very telling, too, in the story, he said, uh, rivers will in the future endanger their lives. You know, when you think of our Penobscot River and the dioxin and the, you know, it's the worst uh, carcinogen poison known to mankind is that dioxin that was in the rivers. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to take another short little break here. Uh, this is Wabanaki Windows, uh, W-E-R-U. And uh, we're talking about the Penobscot Theater's production of Transformer Tales, Stories of the Dawnland. Uh, and my guests here are Amy, keep pronouncing your name wrong. That's all right. I, I answered to both Rotor and Raider. Raider, okay. A Amy Raider, who directed it. Uh, Carol Dana, Penobscot language expert. Uh, Carmela Bear, a young Penobscot uh, actress here. And then uh, Professor Margot was a consultant for the show. So back to the water we're talking about. Uh, the, uh, the frog scene. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, tell me, uh, Carol, about, about that frog scene. Well, I had to think more about that. Uh, the school had done a claymation of that, and I think they called him the frog monster, but his name, Aglabemu, actually means he guards the water. And I remember being a child and finding a frog in the spring, and I asked my mother why he was there, and she said it's his job to keep the water clean. So he was supposed to guard the water, but there again, I think he was somebody that took it to the extreme because he held all the water within himself and didn't allow it to go to anyone else. In the same way, Glascabi had to... Uh, balance out the winter because he used his power too much. You know, I think that was the whole conflict there with him and Aglabemu. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. winter used his power too much. Yes. Right. right, that's yeah. what it stated yeah. in the story. Mm -hmm. So Gliscab is there to help find a balance. I mean, he created balance through these things for us, you know, his descendants. And that's uh, more what he's about, is bringing balance to our lives. So, um, I'm going to ask Amy and Margot this. Um, through the production and listening to the stories, through the little segments of stories, was there anything that that you that you learned from any of these that that came across? To, uh I think the through the process of getting this show up, uh, the thing that stuck with me is just how important it is as a collaborator to listen and to really hear the people you're collaborating with because I would have missed a lot of the subtle implications of the stories and the meanings behind the stories if I hadn't just closed my mouth and listened. And I can still work on that. I can still get a lot better on that. But it was, it, that was the first time that it was underlined so heavily for me that listening was the most important thing to do. Hmm. Yeah, that, it, same for me and... Uh, I mean, I think one of the things that really struck me, and, and this is from many conversations with Carol, um, what it distilled down to for me is some really fundamental differences between um, Anglo-European storylines and Penobscot storylines. Um, and, and the notion that, and this comes through especially in theater, that, that uh, there has to be conflict and a resolution, that, 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 that uh, you know, uh, Anglo-European uh, uh, people solve problems through conflict, and very often it's violent conflict, and that's, you know, we depict that in movies and on stage, and, you know, that's... Yeah, of our mode. That interpersonal conflict. And actually, as an improvisational teacher, that's something that teachers have been hammering home over and over and over again. It's like there can be conflict in the scene. It does not have to be between two people. It can be two people fixing something mm -hmm. or a group of people overcoming something, not necessarily a knockdown, drag out, violent fight. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's the difference, and that's I think you know where a story like uh, about Oglebemo the frog, or um, about winter overcoming winter, um, really underlines that difference. That it's you know you use um, your mind or your your mind powers. You use your um, other connections t- in the universe to begin to make things right and it's not just about can I um, can I knock you down or can I kill you well I think that you know and and I was talking to Carol earlier about this and I think that that's a cultural difference here is Mm -hmm. that uh, in the majority culture you're talking uh, conflict and resolution to make a story interesting and in, in our culture we don't really like Con- conflict, especially physical and fighting and that and that sort of thing. Uh, but there is a, a bit of that in the frog scene mm-hmm. where the frog actually refuses to, you know, open his mouth and let the water go. Uh, and I think the, the story there is that the, the, the water is, is life-saving. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, yeah, the physical... Uh, power or physical weapons or whatever were used to, to, for the good of, to, to keep peop- the people alive. Right. A so fallen the, tree, but did he intend to kill the frog? Well, does the frog <laughs> Well, die? I don't, I don't know. The frog, the frog doesn't I, die. He just lets he, the stuff out. Yeah. And, and he has a broken back, and that's why right. all frogs now look yeah. like they yeah. have yeah. And he yeah. would have, in my yeah. mind, he would have had to survive in order for bullfrogs today to have the broken back. So right. I just thought... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Igluskabe yeah. couldn't squeeze the water out of him, so he used Mother Nature's help to squeeze the water yeah. out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I like that. Okay. Go ahead, Carmel. <laughs> you got something to say? I actually remember watching the claymation movie of Uglabemu, and it was pretty good, but in that one, Uglabemu died. Uh, <laughs> so, because the clay actually went apart and it and Uglebemu didn't have a face or anything, and he didn't have a broken back. He just was dead, basically. And I thought, that is not right. Like, how are bullfrogs today alive? Yeah, they made changes in those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and all of those stories, I mean, Transformer Tales, it's about the transformation of things, of animals, of the landscape, of, mm-hmm. you know, the seasons, mm-hmm. how people, you know, make their living. Um, and and out of the, out of the frog comes the Penobscot River, right? And that's where we got our clans, our water clans, the turtles, the fish, and the frogs. Because there is a frog clan, which was a warrior clan, and there's toad, yeah, mm-hmm. and then there's eel, eel, yeah, yeah, turtle. I actually told some people that I knew that, oh, hey, I'm doing Transformer Tales. And they said, cool, where? And I said, Penobscot Theater. And they said, so Penobscot Theater is going to make, like, robotic Transformers? (laughs) And I said, no, actually, Transformer Tales is about our culture. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a question I got too. Because mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, Transformer Tales. I I didn't realize it would be that uh, interpreted that way on such a wide scale, but it it was. Uh, yeah, so. somebody asked me why it was Transformer Tales, and I told them I really didn't know. But I think it's a question you have to keep asking yourself and come mm-hmm. up with your own answers. Mm-hmm. For me, it was that Gluskabe transformed things. Yeah. He transformed the land. Yeah, me too. That's what I was thinking. I was like, how is it transformer? And then I thought, wait, Gluskabe is transforming our world into the world it is today. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, kiddo. That's pretty good. Yeah. Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Okay. Um, So there must have been... With with all of those, how many kids, how many youth uh, participated in that? We had 33 actors and three tech track students, and the tech track students helped out with set design, costume design, and construction. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, what did the, the majority of the kids think about this, the, the storyline and the, uh, the acting of it? I heard a lot in our talkbacks at Penobscot Theater, um, our Penobscot students shared how much it meant to them to hear the cultural studies interpreted. And the the non-Penobscot kids that talked about that 
said how much they appreciated learning these stories and how much they appreciated being able to be a part of them. Yeah, and, and some of them really had no idea before they began the process about, you know, anything about Penobscot language or Penobscot stories. So it was a really big learning experience for a lot of the kids. I knew them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did that feel special to be one of the kids who was on the inside? Yeah, and I actually didn't even know about summer or 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 the monster moose mm. or yeah. like the mean girl scene. I didn't know about those, but apparently we do have stories of them. You know, that was really cool how how you guys actually built the monster moose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How'd that come about? As a director, you have to tell your designers like what your inspiration is. And there's a particular statue in the uh, Minneapolis Sculpture Garden, and it's called Woodruff, and it's a horse made of sticks. And I love that image. And one of the things I said to our designers is, I want everything to look organic, like it came from the land. It was made from the land. And mm -hmm. so our designer came up with this moose made of sticks and branches and mm -hmm. scraps of fabric because he was a oh. monster moose. He was mm -hmm. unearthly. He was, he had to be brought into balance. Yeah. And that was very, that was chilling, that scene. Yeah, it was really. The, yeah. the, the soundtrack behind and the, the appearance of the moose. There were two kids operating the moose puppet. They were inside. It was yeah. very large. And yeah. it was really, you know, moose-sized. We, we had to change the head because it used to be just a flat, two-dimensional, very large antlers kind of thing. And it couldn't fit out the door in the back. And we couldn't... <laughs> At first, my solution was, well, they'll have they'll kneel down in the back of the audience, and then somebody said, no, you have to keep that clear. It's a fire hazard. So <laughs> necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you know that scared a lot of the kids. I mean, mm -hmm. in, you know that went there it yeah. was so real. I, I thought, wow, it's great. I actually liked it. And I think Nick and Lucian, those were the kids operating it, did a really good job, like, taking care of it and Lucian not breaking the top of the head. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, I thought it was super cool. And my favorite part was back when it was a two-dimensional thing, those, um, it had red glowing light oh, bulb eyes. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. We, it was awesome. When we had to redo the head, I was we lost the eyes. They mm -hmm. came out of the, the foam piece. So I, I was like, well, we found one, but I couldn't make the Monster Moose a side <laughs> Could have had one eye. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then a patch over the other. <laughs> yeah, like Uskabe when he takes out his eye. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Neat. The one-eyed Transformer Tales. <laughs> yes, the one-eyed Transformer Tales. Yeah. So, in the frog, I thought the frog was really yeah. good too. I don't, I don't know. The frog wasn't big enough, I don't think, but it was cool the way that it, it really looked. It looked like a giant. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We, I had envisioned something of a larger <laughs> scale, uh, but the way that they made it work out, I just there was such delight in just seeing that frog look at you and turn <laughs> right. its head oh, yeah. and yeah. nod up and down when it riveted. I just it, there was a lot of joy in that one piece coming yeah. to stage. So yeah. you, you had to decide which you wanted to do. If I wanted yeah. to do large scale, which might take up more of our budget and be cost prohibitive and also not be able to travel. Oh, yeah. All that travel. kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Versus uh, large, delightful, and transportable. Yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> really Now, that's, that's the other question I have. Now, I know that you had to travel to Indian Island to set the show up and also to MDI to, sh to set that show up. So what does that, what kind of, what do you have to do? To we had a second set. We had a separate set that we traveled with that was much scaled down and could fit into spaces of various sizes because the stage at Indian Island was considerably smaller than the stage we would have had at Blackwood's campground or the Criterion, which we wind up do wound up doing because of our rain location. Uh, but something I told the kids right off the bat is how brave they are and how focused they were to be able to travel this show because that's mm -hmm. something that most adults don't do. Mm -hmm. You don't travel a whole show across miles and miles and miles and put it up in a theater that you don't get to spend a lot of time in. Not a lot of people do that, especially not with a scripted work, not with a set. Mm. How did you keep no. these kids focused from, from day to day? That, 
I mean, okay, honestly, every child is going to have a little bit of squirreliness in them, but we had uncompromisingly, wonderfully focused kids. Yeah, they, they were amazing. Yeah. Yep. And the assistant director screamed a lot. But he, my uh, assistant director, Ben Lehman, always likes to yell and go, ah, I love you. I love you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, he was only playing bad cop. Yes. Yeah. So you, you had a, a smaller set that was made. I mean, you must have had vehicles that you had to put these in and... We have a box truck at the theater that conveniently uh, broke down the night before we had to travel to Indian Island. So there at midnight, we were jumping the truck and getting it charged up. Uh, on the way back, uh, we were loading it up for after the performances at the theater. The box truck serpentine belt broke, <laughs> and it was out of commission. So we had to rent another truck to take it down, but... It was like one thing after another. And then to transport the kids, we actually had a school bus donated to us. Wow. And two drivers, one driver donated her time for our two shows. Wow. I was going to ask you about the kids, transportation Mm -hmm. for the kids. Uh, It was always like the way to any place, because we also did a field trip to the Hudson Museum. The way to any place, everybody was on their best behavior. The way back. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit more energy. Put your hair down after that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, is this this is this is it for the Transformer Tales? For right now, uh, the summer session needfully has to be three weeks long because kids have to go back to school. Uh, But not only did we have a few audience members ask if this would come back again, I had a fourth grade teacher approach me and say that she is always looking for good resources to teach about Wabanaki history in the state of Maine, and she wondered if we do this again. And in one of the talkbacks, somebody said, hey, why don't you do this again next year? I would love to see this come back again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me as well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think this production, and I, I believe probably the, the reason it was done was because the, uh, the National uh, Forest, National Park Service, probably funded a lot of it. Yes and no. I think... I think the the sort of cross-cultural collaboration was a little bit more the reason that we got some funding that we did. The, the opportunity to engage with the Penobscot Nation, which is something we've always wanted to do, and finding the right project to make it happen. That's uh, as cool as it was to be part of the uh, National Park Centennial, the collaboration and the beginning of an ongoing collaboration was what meant more to me. Yeah, and, and the funding came from a lot of different sources. Mm-hmm. There was an NEA grant. Um, there was, uh, you know, local uh, underwriting kind of support. Um, there was a small grant from University of Maine Humanities Center. Um, so, the, the, you know, the funding was put together with a variety of sources. Mm-hmm. So do you see, realistically, do you see this uh, being performed again? Realistically, I, I mean, I hope so. I will work to make that happen because I enjoyed it so much, as long as we're allowed to. That was the big thing, that the stories from the Penobscot Nation, were we were allowed to use them. So as long as we have that permission in place and that continuing collaboration, I would love to do it again. And uh, another thing, you know, you, you had these audiences and... Uh the, the and I, I noticed I went to two shows and I noticed there was a difference, uh, in, in a, particularly the audience uh, on Indian Island uh, seemed to be very uh, excited and and uh, really happy about the show and you know um, and they then they got they got a lot of it I think mm-hmm. they really they they had not how to put this I think they were more appreciative of of the show itself and, and the stories, uh, the, w- once they left, once that was, l- once they go and, and went into like Bangor, uh, the audience, uh, I think they were more curious than anything. Uh, yeah, I would say that the curiosity factor was there as well. I, I also think there's a particular set of behaviors that people adopt when they walk into a theater building where they think, I must be polite and quiet and mm-hmm. right. sit in my seat and appreciate quietly. And I'm the audience. I'm yeah. That's the theater. <laughs> right. And I heard a lot of very effusive praise 
after the show. People have found me after the show, but I'm like, you know, you can appreciate during the show too, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you had, did you have a Q&A sessions after all the shows or just the Bangor? Just the Bangor ones uh, because the first day the kids had been there for about 10 hours, so yeah. I didn't feel like a Q&A was probably going to work. And then the other one we had to get out really early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that we think about, I mean, Carol and I have talked about this a little bit, that, um, you know, we did these tales in a summer session, which is actually, you know, culturally proscribed. You're supposed mm-hmm. to wait until winter, right, mm-hmm. to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking about the possibility of future productions and also thinking about the potential for audiences, particularly coming from schools, it might be really, um, you know, a good thing to think about you know, looking at winter and looking at when schools are in session as mm-hmm. as the next possibility mm-hmm. rather than breaking with tradition. Yeah. 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 It was almost like breaking a taboo to be telling them in the summer. But Sipsis and I used to talk about that and it just makes sense for a lifestyle. Like all summer you're following the food and the plants are in bloom, they're at their height and it's time to harvest and gather and fish and whatnot. Be busy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in winter, you've got everything. So you have the time in, in the winter right. to do it. Yeah. Which it, yeah, and life styles have yeah. changed since. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it was a way to carry your values on to the younger generation. I thought they had a really great crew, and I just want to commend them for doing that. And I felt just hearing her today speak those two phrases just makes me happy you know in Penobscot I understand it I almost came to tears watching it I was so pleased it just made me happy yeah yeah so thanks for all that I I cried during the talk back the first (laughs) talk back because Raven Sokolexis spoke first and Byron spoke as well and the and Amara and Carmela and they spoke about the the stories and what they meant to them and what it meant to share them. And that's when I cried. And, of course, I was up on stage, so there I am, like, wiping my nose. Like, <laughs> I was sitting behind Byron, so I tried to, like, hide behind Byron and wipe my nose discreetly. didn't happen, but... <laughs> we all get emotional sometimes, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got emotional uh, in the Friday show um, with the opening video. The music video. Music mm-hmm. always gets me. Mm-hmm. But but just, you know, seeing images of Indian Island and, and how proud it, those kids seem to be. It got me, too, because I knew everyone in that video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, I knew the kid they were filming. I knew the person that was speaking the language after the singing. And I almost cried, but I knew I had to go on stage after. So I was like, keep it together, keep it together. You have to go on stage. You're a pro. You can't be an emotional brat on stage. (laughs) Yeah, I must say that the video, the music video was was really good. (laughs) And many thanks to you for allowing us to use it in the production because that that was such a boon. It was so wonderful. And so well received, and I love being able to share it on our Facebook page too. And even the folks who couldn't come to see the show at least got to see the video, which was yeah. And awesome. that's and the thing was that the video came out nationwide on on that the same night, the that same was so exciting, the same wow. afternoon. Wow. There you saw the the premiere of that the premiere of that video, wow. uh, and uh, it's let's put a plug in for it. It's, it's on. Uh, it's online. It's on YouTube now, and uh, oh. and people who are interested, there's uh, CDs that they can they can buy with the uh, oh. all the rest of the songs on it too. Uh, How do they find it so online? On YouTube, um, I can I'll put that up on the, mm-hmm. the radio site. We were actually so. listening to the album on the way over here. <laughs> 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 okay. I jumped out of my back. See, when I started hearing the song, I was like, oh, my God, yes! <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty neat, though, to hear kids singing those songs that, you know, that these, the communities came up with. Uh, mm-hmm. And these words that uh, were, they were written by the, the kids themselves, oh. all of the lyrics. The, mm-hmm. the opening, like, phrase or first verse always gets me. It's, I won't hate, but I'll educate. It's, it's about mm-hmm. not 
hating people who hate you and about education and love and that, you know, yeah. I'm a big old softie. So that like got me right, right in the gut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So last uh, thoughts, anybody? Uh, I'll start with you, Margo. Well, so last thought, I, I would go to the video that uh, Seven Eagles made at the end of, you know, asking people what Gluskabe means to them. And um, uh, it was really a good thing to hear from a number of Penobscot people, you know, sort of articulating that. So the audience has been through this experience of, you know, the, the Gluskabe stories, and then they get to hear what contemporary people think and feel about it. And what you said, Donna, in, in your brief interview about uh, Gluskabe coming back through stories and through media and through what people are are doing today, you know, that made me think, okay, so there is potential for transformation in theater through through the work of playmaking. Mm -hmm. So that, okay. Next, we only got a couple minutes left. Oh, I was here years ago telling the Transformer tales over WERU. And my grandson could hear me, and I just realized who would think that I'd be here years later talking about Transformer Tales as a play. So I'm real grateful to WERU and the Penobscot Theater and Donna and everybody believing me. Well, thank you. Amy? I just i am profoundly grateful that we had this opportunity and that the Penobscot Nation trusted us with these stories. I'm so grateful. It was just unbelievable. I just feel so lucky that I was chosen to come on a radio station and come talk about my culture and how we can put it into a play and have my aunt ask me questions about it. that's right. This is my great, great niece. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great. (laughs) So many greats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Carmela. (laughs) <laughs> um, what I want to do now, we only got like a minute left. Okay. I want to read this uh, poem that was the, the last yeah. piece to the, to the Transformer Tales by mm-hmm. Sipsis. Mm-hmm. It's called Path, and you guys know it well. Sipsis uh, book. Your path and mine have crossed today into different directions we must go. While it matters not that signposts say yield, stop, or go for a moment, We journey together with your signs along my road. Perhaps in future lives we will travel as we do today, meeting at some crossroads. Then on your path, with my sign, yield, stop, or go, for stars beckon us to travel across the skies of ancient paths, faint echoes of names, some urgency, tribal instinct, some voice calls us home. And for today, before we roam, we are calling Earth our home. Um, I would like to thank my guests, Amy Roeder, Carol Dana, Carmela Bear, and Margo Lukens, and our engineer, uh, Joel Mann. And uh, also the, uh, the music for our show is uh, a CD called uh, uh, Dreamwalk with the track of Little Eagles. And uh, tune in again next month for another Wabanaki Windows. Thank you. And we have a, just about a minute before we have a break to come towards. Uh, in that time, let's take a quick look at the weather. Partly sunny today with a high near 78. Northeast winds 7 to 10 miles an hour becoming southwest in the afternoon. Tonight, rain with thunderstorms likely. Then rain is possible and a thunderstorm after 8 p.m. Some of the storms could produce heavy rainfall tonight. Low around 64. South winds 7 to 10 miles an hour. New rainfall amounts... Uh, between one and two inches possible. It's a heavy downpour, a 90% chance of rain tonight. Wednesday, chance of showers before 4 p.m., mostly cloudy with a high near 77. Southwest winds 5 to 9 miles an hour, becoming north in the afternoon. Chance of precipitation is 50%. New precipitation amounts between a tenth and a quarter of an inch possible. WERU's volunteers, staff, and board of directors 
send a great big thank you out to all the listeners who contributed to Community Radio during our recently concluded Funathon Pledge Drive. Listener support, along with volunteer power, makes all of our great music, news, and public affairs programming possible. WERU is here because of you. This is General Manager Matt Murphy. And I'm phone volunteer Perry Thompson. Volunteers like me really enjoyed taking your calls this past week. Your generosity was inspiring. Welcome as well to all new members. We thank you all for your support. You're listening to the best radio station on the planet, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and on the web at WERU.org, Community Radio. Good morning, and welcome to On the Wing. My name's Jim Bahoosh. I'll be here with you till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Psyched to come in today and see a couple new releases here from Snarky Puppy. Let's start.